Well, we're going to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And last week we looked at, at chapter 3 and we see that the, the work uh, is well underway. Nehemiah has come into the, the city. He's called the people to action. They have risen. They have taken up their tools. They are building. And they begin to see progress. Some are building just the section in front of their own homes, doing what they can there with their own families. Others have greater ability, and they've built a thousand cubits of wall. Some get to work uh, by the pool and the king's garden, and others work at the dung gate. But regardless of the place of work and the amount of work that each one has the ability to do, the work is being done. And so I just want to give you a simple reminder of this, that you need the church and the church needs you. And if the work is going to be done, each one will have to do the part that God has equipped you to do. Regardless of what that is, whether it seems small in your own eyes or God calls you to something that's more visible or something that's apparently larger. Whether it's a place that, um, well, to reference the Dungate, a place that stinks to work. And, uh, or whether it's a place that's refreshing and it's, it's, it's encouraging to build in that area, the work still needs to be done. I, I do want to say this, though, that there's a, a principle in the Christian life and in Christian ministry, the work of the church, that every time that God's people begin to follow His leading and to make progress on the one side, it will always happen, and I do mean always happen, that on the other side, the devil will rear his head and try to oppose it. It doesn't matter. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, if you start building, you will soon be battling, so be ready. If you are building, you will soon be battling. And I'll tell you this just from the, the perspective of a preacher. I feel this. Um, I may have shared this with some of you before, but when I first became the pastor here and was preaching every Sunday, I think it's been long enough now, my wife don't mind me, won't give, mind me giving testimony to this, but it seemed like it didn't matter how great of a week we had, how smoothly everything ran, something always went wrong on Saturday. Always went wrong on Saturday. Some, something that would come along that would tempt me to have a really bad attitude or to respond in anger or uh, the kids would, well, at the time it was just Joel. Joel would get sick or something would happen or we would just fight over something stupid. I'm sure none of you married couples ever fought over anything stupid. It was all worthwhile. Uh, but it seems like that was the case. And so it, it came a point, even in our own relationship, after several weeks, even a few months of, of being here and preaching Sunday after Sunday, Sunday, that we stopped and we stepped back and said, this is ridiculous. There's more going on here than what we see. Because everything else seems to run smoothly Monday to Friday, but then Saturday hits and stuff starts going wrong. So what did we do? We prayed about it. We asked the Lord to help us with that. And, you know, we'll just praise the Lord and say that he has most Saturdays. <laughs> This still happens occasionally, right? Uh, but, you know, at other occasions, things like that have happened. I remember a year ago, and some of you will remember this incident as well. Uh, leading up to Palm Sunday last year, the Lord had really been doing a work in my heart, and I was burdened to preach uh, a, a particular sermon. And, and I just knew that the Lord was going to use this to work in people's hearts, that there were lost people that needed to hear this. There were Christians who needed to hear this. And I had been praying and studying and really seeking the Lord over this sermon to preach on Palm Sunday. Well, 
Palm Sunday comes and we're at the hospital because out of nowhere, Kelby has a, an allergic reaction to something she's never had an allergic reaction to and we're in the hospital for a week. I don't, you know, I'm not looking for the devil behind every bush and under every rock, but you can't tell me that things like that are all an accident or all coincidental. Even this, this year, just a few weeks, or just a couple of weeks ago, leading up to Easter, we had been praying in the church. Uh, several of us had been fasting and praying for something like six weeks, asking the Lord to, to meet with us, to bless us on Easter Sunday, to, to save lost people. Many of you had invited your neighbors and your friends, and praise God, a lot of them came. Uh, you know, but it seemed like that week before Easter, everything that could go wrong went wrong. You know, the, both of the kids got sick, and they couldn't just do it at the same time. They had to do one right after the other and stretch it out as long as they could. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it's Jonah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's Joel. Okay, Thursday, maybe we're in the clear. Thursday night, I get strep throat. You know, it's right here before Easter. Why do things like that happen? Do you think they're all coincidence? No, I don't think anything's really a coincidence. But any time that God is at work and any time you get serious about seeking the Lord and wanting to see Him do something and do something through you, you're always going to have opposition. It's not always sickness. It's not always crazy circumstances that you can't explain. It comes in various forms. But Nehemiah is experiencing some of that in chapter 4 and in the chapters to follow. They're starting to see progress on the wall. Things are moving forward. And so now they're going to face opposition. Progress always meets opposition. Now, we're seeing some progress in some things in our church, if I can just say so. I praise God that we're getting ready to remodel this children's wing. It needs it. These kids are going to have a super space to, to, to come and to play and to learn and to grow and, to, and hopefully to meet Jesus. And I praise God for that. Yeah, I praise God that almost half of our Sunday morning attendants showed up Wednesday night for gospel conversations training. I put out a list two weeks ago about teaching evangelism and, and half of you almost showed up to be here. I praise God for that. There are a lot of good things that are going on. And so I just, I don't want to throw a damp towel on it, but I just want to go ahead and say, look over your shoulder a little bit, because just as soon as you start to see progress in some areas that glorify God, you will surely begin to see a measure of opposition. So be ready for it. Now, in Nehemiah's case today, it wasn't sickness. It wasn't some tragic circumstance or anything like that, but it actually came in the form of, form of ridicule, mockery, insult, criticism. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. He has absolutely no reason to hate these people. But he sees that they're building the wall. He sees that they're making progress. And his reaction is, oh, well, that's nice. Good for them. You know, I, hope it looks, I, hope, you know, I hope they go with a certain design and that they've got a nice place to live when they're done. No, Sanballat sees the progress of this wall going up, and his instant reaction is to be angry. He's furious. This is the same Sanballat that heard that Nehemiah had come into the city, and he was angry just that someone came to seek the well-being of the Jews. That people cared about him. Upset him. And so here he's angry, he's indignant, and so he begins to mock in verse 2, he says, And spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Do they really think they have any strength at all? That they're anything special, anything great? 
Will they fortify themselves? Do they think they're going to build a a wall that's actually going to be able to protect them from their enemies? To protect them from us? Will they offer sacrifices? Do they think that they're going to do this thing just right and be able to worship their God like they used to forever ago when their ancestors were here? Do they think they're going to be able to get back to that? Will they complete it in a day? They think this is going to be some short project where they can get in here and get things done and move on. Man, they're never going to get this thing done. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? You think you're going to use those rocks right there, those stones that are in that ash heap, to build a wall that's of any value, of any help to you? I mean, he's just letting them have it one thing right after the other. He's, he's calling them weak. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week. You got goldsmiths and perfumers and politicians out here building a wall. I mean, they really think it's going to be any kind of impressive structure that they're going to be able to protect themselves. And friends, you'll experience that anytime that you think that you're going to make any kind of change, any, any good for the Lord in this world. If you're going to do anything to, to advance the kingdom, to spread the gospel, you can expect that somebody's going to come along and criticize you. Well, you can try that if you want to. I mean, you can try going to the prayer meeting. You know, you can go to the evangelism training, gospel conversations training if you want to, but people don't want to hear that. You're not really that good of a speaker. I mean, you know, you can you go for it. Go ahead. But I don't know that that's really going to get you anywhere. You want to make disciples? You want to try to invest in other people and teach them the Bible? That's fine. But people are just too busy for that. People don't have time to get together and read the Bible during the week. It doesn't matter what you try to do, whatever progress you try to make for the Lord, you're going to face opposition. But notice too, not just a sand ballot speaks up, but his insults, his mockery actually inspires others to join in. There in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yeah, yeah, what he said. You tell him, sand ballot. Oh, here, I got one. Uh, whatever they build, if even a fox goes off on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Yeah, build that wall, guys. All it'll take a fox, it'll come crumbling down. You go ahead and do that work for God. It won't last. I've been around churches for a long time. Nobody here has ever said this to me, so don't, don't take this. But I've heard, I've heard it in other churches before. You know, preachers come and go, but we church members will be here no matter what. I hope none of you have said that about me. <laughs> I've seen, you've seen that attitude, though. You've heard it. This is our church. It doesn't matter who the preacher is. We're going to run things how we want to run things. Yeah, you go ahead and try that. It won't last. People, people won't go for that around here. And that will happen anytime you try to make progress for the Lord. So what do you do? What do you do when you are opposed in this way? And we'll talk, look at other kinds of opposition in, in coming weeks. But today, specifically, when we face this kind of criticism, when people speak evil of you, when people try to downplay what you're doing or discourage you from it, what do you do? How do you respond to that? Well, I can tell you how Nehemiah and how the Jews responded to it. And so I'll just give you three simple words. Three, three words. Let me just go ahead and tell you up front in case I forget to mention it again along the way. Pray. Resolve and defend. Pray and resolve 
and defend. And I'll explain what each of those means because it may not mean exactly what you think it means. I want to go ahead and and, and just say this up front, that nowhere in this chapter will you see retaliation. Before we talk about what they did do, I just want you to notice that Nehemiah never once said, I'm going to go talk to that Sanballat right now. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell him what I think and where he can go and where he can stick it. You didn't get any of that. Stephen Davey, a pastor down in Cary, he said, retaliation never rebuilds any walls. Going back and insulting Sanballat, throwing stones right back at him, wouldn't have done anything to help the cause of building the wall. So I just want to go ahead and say that to you up front. Whatever opposition comes, whatever criticism comes, don't retaliate. That is not what you do. That is not how you respond. So how do you respond? First thing, pray. Pray. Look there at verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. They launched right into prayers. They're, they're seeking the face of God. They know whose help they need. It's an interesting prayer, though. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So their first instinct is to pray. Now, what is their prayer? Kill them. Get rid of them. Drive them out. You know, we know all about captivity. We've been there. Send them into captivity. Let their enemies overtake them. That's the prayer y'all want to pray when people criticize, right? Oh, it it's, might be our, our instinct. It might be our natural reaction. But I just want to go ahead and, and just stop you right there. Tap the brakes. This is not the prayer that we pray. I want you to notice that they do pray. That that's their, their first instinct is to turn to God. Whenever criticism comes, whenever you, you start to feel the pressure of the insults, the, the uh, discouragement, and you're not sure exactly what to do, the first thing you need to do is get on your knees and seek the face of God. And that first part of that prayer, you can pray, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. God, I need you. I need you to hear me, and I need to hear from you. Now, this prayer for them was appropriate. Because they had a special covenant with God, right? Right? God had promised them that if they would obey His law and keep His commandments, that they would be His people and He would be their God, and anyone who came against them would surely be destroyed. So they're praying. They're asking God to simply do the thing that He said He would do for Israel. And this is where context and an understanding of Scripture is very important. You don't take everything you read in the Old Testament and say, well, that applies to the church. The church's prayer is not, Lord, destroy our enemies. Whenever someone comes against you and opposes you in God's work, your prayer is not, God, destroy them. How should we pray? How are we as Christians commanded to pray for those who come against us? Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense, right? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We're going to be opposed when we truly follow the Lord and try to do His work. And we should pray first when we are opposed. But our prayers should be for the blessing and the salvation of those who are coming against us. You see, we're under a new covenant. We're not Israel. 
We are the church. And Jesus has given us a new standard, a new commandment that we love one another and not only one another, but our enemies. Now, this goes against our instincts. This goes against our nature because we want retaliation. We want revenge. We want justice and justice will come. There is a day of judgment. But God says vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's not up to you. So whenever you're insulted, when you're opposed, you go to the Lord in prayer and you seek the salvation and the blessing of your enemies. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would be in the same place or worse. Each of us were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Each of us lived after the lusts of our flesh. Now listen, the lusts of your flesh might not have been to criticize and go against other people when they're trying to do good. But you had your own problems. You've got your own sins to deal with. That's just theirs. And so just as you have received the grace of God and you've received forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, we in turn pray that they too would receive that same forgiveness, experience that same grace, and that they would follow Jesus. And wouldn't it be something if the one who started in opposition to you ended up being one that came alongside you to help you in the work? God can do that. Don't believe me? Just ask this guy named Paul. Read the New Testament. You'll understand. So pray. That's our first thing is to pray. Second, resolve. Resolve. Verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Whenever people come against you and that discouragement starts to set in and you, you don't really know if you should continue to go on, friend, you should pray, you should seek the Lord's help, you should seek the salvation of those coming against you, but you have to resolve to continue no matter what people around you say. You have to resolve to continue walking with the Lord, to continue faithfully in the work. And the people in Israel says they had a mind to work. Their minds were made up. No one was going to divert them from their task. And in so doing, they worked to the point that up, up to here, the entire wall has been joined together. They've, they've finished it all the way around. It's half its height. They're halfway done. They were renewed in their efforts, even whenever people came against them, they prayed. Now listen, in verse 6 there, what's the first word? So. So. Now it's not merely a conjunction here just saying, well, they prayed and then they did this. But it's so in that thus they worked, thus they built the wall. In this way, praying, they continued and resolved to press forward in the work. So we don't just pray and then get up and go work. We pray and then we get up and keep praying while we're going to work. Pray without ceasing. Pray in everything we do. Cover the work that we're doing for God in prayer. And ask for His help. They resolve to press on in the work. Galatians, Paul said this. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's a principle, right? For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the, of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. But in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Friend, if you are discouraged in your work, if you've heard those opposing voices, maybe it's thoughts in your own mind. Maybe it is somebody outside of yourself who's, who's accusing you and criticizing you. Whatever it is, however you're feeling opposed and oppressed and, and discouraged in the work of God, let me encourage you, do not grow weary while doing good. Keep sowing. Keep
Keep planting. Keep sowing according to the Spirit. And God has given us this promise that of the Spirit we will reap life. You keep working. You resolve to press on in the work. And God will bless you. God will bless His work. He will build His church. And He will accomplish the the work that He has begun in you. He will bring it to completion. Now, now, even as they've resolved to continue on in the work, it seems like things are just continuously coming after them. It wasn't just a one-time insult and done. Look there at verse 7. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. The gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. So they see the progress. They're angry all over again. Verse 8, And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So now there's a conspiracy to physically attack these people, to confuse them and to stop the work. They continued to pray, verse 9, they set a watch against them. But it's not just the enemies outside. Look at verse 10, he says, Then Judah said, some of their own said, The strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. So now not only do you have insults and criticisms and threats from the outside, but you have discouragements from the inside. Like, hey, people are tired. You're working them to death. Yeah, it's halfway done, but it's just going to get harder from here. We've got to start carrying stuff up ladders and using scaffolding to try to reach the top. And people are just worn out. And it's not just Judah that's against them. Here's our adversaries again. Verse 11, they they said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. So we got attack from the outside. we got attack from the inside. Attack from the outside. Verse 12, attack from the inside again. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times. Okay, it's bad enough if somebody discourages you once. But these folks came ten times and says, From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Guys, there's no hope. The enemies are all around us. We're going down. Everybody knows the pessimist in the group, right? And it seems like just one thing after another, discouragement after discouragement, exterior threat, interior discouragement. One right after the other. But they resolved and pressed on in the work. Isaiah chapter 40 is such an encouraging passage for, for, for everyone. Not just for the Old Testament Jew, but also for the Christians now. He says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Hey, you might be weary, but guess what? The Lord never faints. He never grows weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who what? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Yeah, you might be tired. You might be discouraged. It might be hard to continue in that resolve. But let me encourage you in this. God isn't tired. God isn't discouraged. He's not going to be deterred from the work that He's accomplishing through you. So what do you do? You wait on Him. You wait on the Lord. And He will renew your strength. He will give you that resolve. He will give you the power to press on in the work. So pray, 
resolve. And the third thing here is defend. Notice what they did in verse 13. That they've heard about these threats, these attacks that are imminent. He says, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Remember the Lord. That's the encouragement. That's the battle cry. He is the one who was with us. He is the one who will fight for us. So what did they do? Verse uh, 17. Drop down there to verse 17. Those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Everyone girded. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So they've got a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They've got their weapon in one hand and they've got their tools in the other. And even while they're working with both their hands, they've got their weapon on their side ready to go. Friends, we have to be doing both. We have to be building and defending at the same time. We've got, our, we've got the Word of God to edify and to build up and to encourage the church and to do the ministry that God has given us in His congregation. And in this community. And then on the other hand, we've got the word of God too. To protect and to defend against the attacks of the enemy. Drop down to verse 19. He says, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So they couldn't just defend their own little section of the wall and their own family, but they were to, to keep their ears open and to be listening for the sound of the trumpet. And if they heard that some of their brethren were, were under attack at another part of the wall, when they heard that trumpet, what were they to do? To rally to their brethren and to come to their defense, to come to their aid and to fight for them. And friends, in the Christian life, we're not just here to protect ourselves from the, the attacks of the enemy, but we have to come to the help of one another. We have to come to the aid of our brethren. None of us are meant to stand alone. Christianity is not to be done solo. We need each other. We need each other's help. Aaron and Hur, when, when Moses was holding his hands up at the battle, he, he lost his strength. He couldn't hold his hands up any longer. But they came on each side. One took an arm and they held his hands up for him. And friends, we have to do that for each other. To hold each other's hands up. To strengthen one another. Encourage one another. Come to each other's defense when under attack. Now, you can be turning to Ephesians 6 because I want to look at it briefly, but let me just say this. When I say come to each other's defense, I don't mean blast somebody on Facebook. Okay? I just want to say that out loud and be clear. That is not what we're talking about here. Retaliation is not the key to any of this. Sometimes I've seen before that somebody will criticize a church online. And then all the members of that church, not all the members, all the members of the church that felt the need to do this publicly in a social forum come to the church's defense and then they start tearing down the attacker and just really showing the love of God. Let me tell you, that's not what we want here. Okay, so if somebody comes and they blast Simmons Grove on Facebook, do not tear that person to shreds. Okay, just leave it alone. There's a delete button, we can handle it. 
If somebody attacks me, you can come to my defense, but don't just start criticizing and retaliating and tearing people down publicly. God's given us a way to handle these things. I want to look at Ephesians 6, but just because it came to mind, I want to say this. Whenever, sometimes we hear people that talk about other people. Anybody ever heard somebody talk about somebody else? Raise your hand. Go ahead, just everybody, raise your hand. You've all heard somebody talk about somebody else. Whether it's at church or work or wherever. You've heard it. You know what the biblical thing to do in that moment is? Tell them to go talk to that person. Or go with them and say, why don't we go talk to that person since y'all have such an issue? Jesus said, if you, you think your brother's in a fault, what, what did he say to do? He said, go to your brother. Address it, confront it. And if instead of going to that brother and talking to them directly about the fault that you see in them and you decide to talk to other people instead, can I just give you one word for that? It's sin. It's sin. And you need to repent. Here's, what, here's how we defend. Here's how Christians defend. We have a whole section on this in the New Testament. We love it. Ephesians 6. He says this in verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In the power of whose might? His might. God's might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is why we don't tear down attackers personally. Because really, they're not the ultimate attacker. People who run their mouths, people who criticize, people who tear others down and discourage you in the work of God, that's not ultimately of them. They're being used by Satan, whether they realize it or not. The real enemy isn't the person who's criticizing. The real enemy isn't the person who's doing the discouraging. The real enemy is Satan who's using them and prompting them to do that. Our warfare is spiritual, so we have to have spiritual weapons. Not the stroke of a key on the internet. So what are these spiritual weapons? How do we defend ourselves and others? He says here in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Friends, that's the, the foundation, the thing that holds it all together is truth. What is the most important thing we have? It is truth. How do you know what's true? God gave you a book. It's here. This is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. By the way, your word is truth. Gird yourself with truth. Know this book cover to cover in everything that God has commanded. Read it daily. Spend time with Him in it. Gird yourself with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ultimately, in our standing with God, we have been given and we've been granted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's our only way we can stand before Him. Friend, that doesn't mean we don't make any effort at keeping ourselves clean. I want to be a clean vessel for honorable use. 
And I hope that you want that same thing. And if there's any sin in your life that the Lord brings to your attention, kill it. Get rid of it. Cast it aside. Have nothing to do with it. Don't mess around. Don't tease it a little. Don't see how much you can, you can enjoy without getting in real trouble. Just kill it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live a clean life. Be blameless. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hey, you guys that have showed up for gospel conversations training on Wednesday night, that's what you're doing. You're putting on your shoes of the gospel, right? You're getting ready to go and to, to preach. Be ready to tell the good news about Jesus. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith is simply our trust in God. We don't depend on our own strength, on our own self-effort. We depend on the Lord. We need His help. He says, take the helmet of salvation. That's where your hope lies, is in the salvation that you have in Christ. You've been born again. That's your greatest protection. You just It doesn't matter what anybody says about you. You are a child of God. You can rest in that, regardless of what anything else regardless of anything else going on around you. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But after he lists all those things, he doesn't just stop there and say, take these things up and go. No, he says, actually, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for whom? For all the saints. We put on the armor of God. We defend ourselves against the attacks of the wicked one. But we're not just here to look out for ourselves, but to pray and to look out for those around us as well. And to come, come to their defense when they are under attack. So how do we respond when we face opposition? Pray. Seek the Lord. He's our first help. Resolve to continue in the work no matter what happens. And defend yourself against the, the attacks of the evil one, but also defend those, uh, your brothers and sisters who are under attack. Friends, we're making progress. The Lord is at work in this church. We will face opposition. Be ready for it when it comes. Let's pray. Our Father, you have been good to us, and we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the things you are doing, the work that we are seeing you do here. We praise you for it. Lord, we know that Satan hates it. He doesn't want us to move forward. He wants us just to sit in our seats and be comfortable and, and just coast on till Jesus comes. But Lord, we're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep making progress because you're with us. You're leading us. And we will face opposition. So Lord, we ask you for help. Fill us with the Spirit. Give us your wisdom. Help us to put on the armor of God and to be ready to stand when the attacks come. Lord, we trust you and we praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.